Well, again, uh, a good evening to each of you and a welcome and a special welcome to our guests this evening. We're so glad you're here as we uh, begin this Lenten journey together. As I said, Lent is an ancient word that means spring, and in the northern hemisphere, that's when it happens. And uh, so this season of Lent is uh, how our journey begins. And on Ash Wednesday, uh, we gather to uh, certainly be marked by ashes, to remind us of our mortality, to call us into a time of repentance and confession and new direction. Uh, and it's actually a, just an important service for us to take a deep breath and just be reminded that life is fragile. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy God, on this Ash Wednesday, as we've come from a busy day, whether it's been work or school or other commitments or volunteering or just commitments at home, whether we have been before the computer in Zoom meetings or we've been with students or coworkers or whatever it may be, we bring a lot to tonight. We pray, God, to take a deep breath in our hearts and to take a moment to just be open to your word. Too often our lives are too full. We have too much to do, too many things to do. And for some of us, there's not enough to do, but we're too distracted or too upset or too uncertain to just listen to your word, to sit in silence and receive your word. And to know these words that you speak, these words that you give, these words will forever change our lives. So as we begin this season of Lent, O oh God, and as we listen to the words of your Son as he spoke from the cross over these next 40 days, may these ancient words read tonight speak to us and prepare us and open us to hear more deeply, to be changed more profoundly, and to live more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in uh, 12th grade, uh, I knew it was coming. I went to a small high school, so each grade, each subject had the same teacher, right? In fact, I went to the same high school as my father, and I took two teachers that were his teachers. That's really bizarre, let me tell you, right? Mrs. Hamilton was the 12th grade English teacher, and though we knew it was coming, you're never prepared, right? The, the freshman English teacher had been pretty easy. The sophomore, not so much. The junior had prepared us. In fact, she would say again and again, you think this is tough, you have no idea what's coming. And we heard rumors from the west end of the building. We heard rumors that things were difficult in that room of 12th grade English and 12th grade literature. And we heard that our hands would cramp and we would be up all night writing, and that our lives would be miserable. And the day came, and they were, <laughs> right? Mrs. Hamilton believed in the power of words. She believed in the importance of English and its grammar. She especially believed in the importance of ancient literature, and she certainly believed in the gift of writing and rewriting all the notes she had on her blackboard. You may remember blackboards. I don't think they exist anymore. But when we were younger, many of us who are boomers and older, they were these blackboards that you wrote on with a thing called chalk. Anybody remember, right? Now they're smart boards. And on those boards, there were four or five in her room, and they were the longest blackboards you've ever seen in your life. And she would fill them every night with things about what we were going to study, whether it was Beowulf or Hamlet or whether it was a, a, a grammar rule or a project or a sentence structure 
or you know, all of those things, right? She hated split infinitives. They're common now, but I, every time I hear one, I know she's cringing in heaven. Amen, right? <laughs> one thing I deeply appreciated about her as we sat every day and copied down the notes before her lecture. And I mean, there were lots of them. And she also believed in good penmanship. So she would come by and take your sheet and say, this is trash, get rid of it and start over. Because if you couldn't write correctly, she didn't want to see it. I told you it was a miserable place, right? (laughs) The gift was, she taught us about the importance of words. Whether it was in the beginning of Beowulf or Canterbury Tales, or whether it was later with All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren, All of those words were important. She she talked about the power of a preposition or the importance of a noun or referencing and all of those things, which at the time seemed senseless. But in in my life later, as I wrote and prepared in college and graduate school and seminary, indeed those words were important. Words are important. Words are powerful. Words can hurt. Words can heal. Words can change. Words can encourage. Words can discourage. Words are powerful. As we began this season of Lent, it's rare that we've talked about the importance of God's Word and the words that Jesus spoke. We often get into what we're going to give up or what we're going to do extra. We talk about draping the cross or covering the Christ candle, all of which are important and point us symbolically. But do we talk about these words? Certainly, over the next weeks, we will hear the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, today you will be with me in paradise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We usually save those for Good Friday, because we can handle it in one hour as the lights grow dim. But this year, we're going to embrace them full on for six weeks. But tonight, we hear the power of words in these ancient texts which are read every Ash Wednesday. The others that we did not read tonight are Joel and Corinthians, but tonight we've spent time in Psalm 51 and time in Matthew chapter 6 from the Gospel. Psalm 51 is an ancient prayer of confession and penance, okay? It is a heartfelt, hard prayer, praying from the deepest places of regret and brokenness and sin that you can imagine. Historically attributed to King David when he violated Bathsheba and murdered her husband, and Nathan confronted him harshly about all of the evil he had done in the world. The church and Judaism claim that this is the 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 psalm, the prayer that David wrote and offered, and maybe so. But whoever wrote it is very clear that it is time to confess and time to repent and time to be honest about the deep brokenness in humanity and the deep brokenness in this one's life. It's about telling God how bad it's been and how I've leaned into sin and how I've wounded other people, but it's also about the possibility of transformation in the midst of the brokenness. Too often we want to move on to the joy when we really need to be talking about the confession. Too often we want to skip on to the places of forgiveness and grace before we talk about where we have failed. Amen. And yet the hopeful words come, powerful words that center us for this season of Lent. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put within me a right spirit. This one desperately wants to be restored and renewed, to go in a new direction, to see things differently. Open my lips and I shall proclaim your praise. You don't want sacrifices. You want a broken, contrite spirit. You want 
a person who is willing to be humble and transformed and honest before you so that indeed we can embrace this new life. In fact, some people believe that those last little verses about once again animal sacrifices will happen in the temple, those were offered by somebody from the temple because they were afraid people might take this too seriously, right? That maybe the rituals have lost their meaning and what the psalm is calling us to do is to be people of confession. I encourage you over these next days as we prepare for Sunday. Read Psalm 51 each day. It is powerful. It is transformative. It is revealing. It is honest. It is rough. It is struggle. It is a powerful word. And then we read from Matthew chapter 6. We read this every Ash Wednesday, right? Uh, You remember that we go in our closet to pray, to give, to fast, to whatever we do, right? And and I I read these uh, verses and and I think about them, and um, uh, i got to be honest with you, they are challenging to me because I'm not for sure I'm that public about my faith, right? I mean, Jesus is speaking not only to the religious authorities of the day and to his disciples and even to the early church that when we pray or give or fast in ways that people think we're amazing, we probably miss the whole thing, Right? In fact, I even, I always struggle about Ash Wednesday, right? I leave here with this cross on my forehead, and I want to keep it on so people will ask me, but then I'm saying, am I missing Matthew chapter 6 already? Amen, right? So maybe tonight we go to the restroom and wipe it off and act like nothing's happened. But at the same time, the challenge for us, I think, in suburban life in America, especially in our congregation, is we probably are not public enough about our faith. Amen? We're reluctant to speak about our faith in Christ. We're reluctant to pray in a way that people might uh, see that and be changed. We're, 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 we're not very public about our faith, right? So I sometimes wonder if we like Matthew 6 a lot, or at least I do, let me speak for myself, because it gets me off the hook, amen, right? But before we dismiss Matthew 6 too quickly, and before we miss the lesson of humility and being in a secret place with God in such a deep relationship, which I think is important. Let's remember the powerful words that are enmeshed in this lesson from the Gospel of Matthew. The first thing is, when you give, when you offer alms, when you offer gifts to others, do so in secret. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing right. The point is, Jesus is very clear. He expects that we will give generously. Amen? So in the midst of all this couch language about public versus private and showy versus humble, there's just the clear mandate that as people of the Lenten journey, we are going to give, whether it's to the Lenten offering that supports an end to homelessness both in the suburbs and in the city, which you can read about uh, in your handout tonight, or whether it's Ukrainian refugee and uh, restoration fund through United Methodist Committee on Relief. Jesus is clear. If we are people of this Lenten journey, we're going to give. There's no question. It's a major part of the spiritual discipline. Amen? The second is when you pray. And so Jesus is not saying if you pray, right? I think we'd like to see that translation. Amen, right? But it's when you pray. You pray in secret. You go into your closet. You shut the door because there's a deep sense of personal relationship where you can be as honest as you want to before God, much like those honest words of Psalm 51. Jesus doesn't say if you pray. Jesus says when you pray. And so if we're people of the Lenten journey and followers of Jesus, there's no doubt we are called to be people of prayer. So if you're thinking about what am I going to do this Lent, here's some really interesting things. Jesus says give, pray, 
And then the one we just don't know what to do with. Fast. Fast. Lent is a time when we often give something up. But sometimes we give up things that are not that hard, right? I mean, sometimes we give up Brussels sprouts or, you know, turnips or maybe beets. For me, that would be hard, but for some of you, not, right? Maybe it's anchovies. I don't know what it is, right? But the reality is Jesus calls us to sacrificial fasting. What does it mean not to eat a meal and offer that money to someone else? What does it mean to simplify your diet? What if it means to fast from Netflix? Ooh, I know it's going to be a hard year, right? What if it's something that you dearly love, that you fast from, that we fast from over the next six weeks as a way of reminding us not only of the sacrifice of Jesus, but for me in this season to remind me that other people don't live as gracefully and fruitfully and abundantly and comfortably as I do. Ash Wednesday in the Ukraine is far different than Ash Wednesday in Buffalo Grove. And we've seen it and we've been impacted by it, but maybe the gift of this passage about fasting reminds us that it's not just about giving something up for Lent and we can talk about it, but maybe it's something deeper and more secret that helps us to connect and be in solidarity with the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten, and those in the midst of war. Amen? And then something very interesting happens toward the end of this passage, and there's so much more to it, and I know you'll read it tonight when you get home, but there's, there's just something amazing, as you heard Wanda read, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lent is a perfect time to do a checkup on where your heart is focused, which kind of connects back to that whole Psalm 51 piece of, God, what you want is a pure, broken, contrite heart a heart that is deeply open to the powerful words of God. So I pray that tonight as you come to receive the ashes, that you will see that as a sign of how will I do Lent differently this year? How will I pray? How will I give? How will I fast? Will I be open to Psalm 51 and center myself to be in a new direction and to look at life differently? And friends, we receive these ashes, as I said earlier, for two reasons. One is it's a part of confession and repentance, sackcloth and ashes. You know, it, it's not something we normally do. It's, it's, a, it's a very odd thing, right? What you do last night? I went to church and they put olive oil and some burned palm leaf ashes on my forehead, right? It's silly. It's crazy. But the reality is it's powerful because it reminds us that we're called to be people who confess and renew and forgive and are forgiven. But ashes also remind us that from ashes to, from ashes, to ashes, from dust we came and to dust we shall return. Here's the big theme tonight. It's hard to hear. It's not really an American favorite. We are all going to die. We are. Did you know it? We're all going to die. Our mortality is real. And if we haven't watched the television lately and looked to our neighbors to the east in the Ukraine, life is fragile. Faith is so important because we're all going to die. And yet, in the midst of the ashes, the emerging promise of hope comes because we are people of the risen Christ. But we can't jump there quickly. 
We often want to get to our peeps and our peanut butter eggs because that makes us feel better. Amen? Who wants to do ashes when we can do an egg hunt? Amen? But this is where we are. This is where we're called to be. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust.